Okay, guys, uh, we are in lesson 18, so we're we're winding down. We have uh, this is the last part of Second Timothy chapter four. Next week we'll start looking at the epistle to Titus. So I think we have about four or five more weeks. So we're going to look at Paul's last letter today. Uh, we, we looked at his final charge. Now he's going to give Timothy some instructions concerning th- things there in the church. And hopefully we can uh, learn some things from this. So we're going to talk about adversity and deliverance. Now, I think this is appropriate because at no time does a church not face adversity. Okay? At no time does a church not face adversity? And what we're going to look at today is they had a problem person in the church in Ephesus. So, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've been pastoring over 20 years. I've been a believer now over 30. And, you know, I've met Christians throughout and especially those who have been in struggles in a church and, and people, I'm amazed that we have this concept that church is supposed to be a place where there are no problems. Well, to be honest with you, when you look at the New Testament, that's not possible. In fact, that's the reason why the letters were written, to address problems. Problems are a part of church. Why are they a part of church? Well, we have an enemy. Satan, who wants to destroy the church, who wants to render it helpless, so he's going to do what he can to affect the church. Now, how does he do that? With people. Usually he uses weak people who are weak in the faith or who do not believe. First of all, does everybody recognize that not everybody who comes to church and who says they're a Christian is a Christian? By the way, in America today, do you realize that not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian? Okay? Because there's such things as cultural Christians. What does that mean? Well, they're simply a Christian because that's part of the culture. They've never been to a church. Did you understand? Cultural Christianity. And so because of that, you're going to have the enemy using people to create problems in a church. Now, have you ever been in a church where there was no problems? Have you ever been in a church where there was no problems? I was in one. Where was that? It was an old building that had once been a church, but there were no more people there. Do you understand? Where you have people, you have problems. You're going to have adversity. And why do I bring that up? Why do, why do I, I just want you to understand As believers, and this is what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy here, we have to be constantly on guard. On guard because you don't know where problems are going to arise from, okay? You don't know where problems are going to arise from. And they can come from many different directions, okay? So I want you to notice with me, verse 14 through 16, we're going to talk about adversity. So we're in chapter 4, 2 Timothy. Look with me at verse 14 through 16. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also beware of him. 
for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So we're going to talk about adversity, all right? The first two verses, verse 14 and 15, talk about a fellow who simply identified as Alexander the coppersmith. Now, what's a coppersmith? Well, this is a guy who kind of works with metals. He either works with copper, works with silver, so he makes his livelihood from working with metals. So what would they make with metals? Pots, pans, idols, things like that, okay? So this is what he is. So Paul tells Timothy that Alexander the coppersmith inflicted much harm on him. So I don't know exactly what this harm is. I'm assuming it's not physical harm. But this guy created a lot of problems for Paul. While Paul was in Ephesus, this guy created problems for Paul And maybe he even had something to do with Paul being arrested again. Do you understand? It's very possible. So this guy is creating problems for Paul. He inflicted much harm. All right, now let's stop for a moment. Is it possible for somebody to be a part of our fellowship, to be a part of our churches, and be motivated not by the greater good of the church, but be motivated by what that person wants, what that person's agenda is, what that person is striving for. Is that possible? Yeah, have you seen that through the years? Because not everybody who comes to church comes to church for the right reasons. Does everybody understand that? It's possible that there might be someone maybe even somebody in our church, I don't know who it would be, is coming and at the right opportunity for them does damage to the church because they're trying to gain something from it. And in this instance, their structure, Paul would be at the top of that structure, right? Being the apostle. So he would be a threat to anybody else who would be want to be the big fish in the small pond. So you try to get rid of him, obviously. I'm I'm just speculating here, okay, because we don't know. This guy did a lot of harm to Paul, okay? This guy did a lot of harm to Paul. In fact, we know that Paul dealt with him back from the first letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 20, because he had embraced and was teaching heresies. He had embraced and was teaching heresies. So Paul had him kicked out of the church, excommunicated. So this guy's obviously got a beef with Paul. Now, first of all, does anybody know what a heresy is? What's a heresy? False teaching about who? Okay, that's right, Mary, about God and Jesus. One thing else, false teaching about salvation, the means of salvation. Okay, so this guy obviously was somebody who was a part of the church and who was affecting the church, maybe suddenly and quietly through his teaching, and he got called out on the carpet and he was excommunicated. So you think he's got a personal beef against Paul? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
So this guy inflicted much harm on him. So here's what I want you to notice how Paul deals with him. Paul prays that the Lord will repay Alexander according to his evil works. I I think it's interesting. Paul didn't say to Timothy, Timothy, get some of the big brothers in the church, take him out back behind the building and whoop the tar out of him. He didn't say that. There wasn't vengeance there as far as physical vengeance. But rather, Paul has an attitude that who ultimately brings vengeance? God. God, you repay him. God, you deal with him according to the evil that he has done. You deal with him, okay? You deal with him. Now, he tells Timothy to beware of Alexander since he has greatly resisted Paul's teaching. Beware of Alexander. All right, I think this is something that is very applicable to all of us. I want everybody to understand. You know, we're we're living in a time now where um, it almost doesn't matter what you believe anymore. If you just say you love Jesus, that's enough, okay? If you just say you love Jesus, that's enough. But what does that mean to say you love Jesus? Can that mean anything? Do you know what I'm saying? There are people in India who say they love Jesus, but they count Jesus as one of their million gods. Do they truly know who Jesus is if they count him as one of their million gods? No. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just simply because somebody says they love Jesus or professes to follow Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are right. Right? Okay? So you're supposed to be, Peter, I mean, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you need to be aware of this guy. You and I, Alexander the Coppersmith doesn't live in our community, but we do have Alexander the Coppersmith type people in our community. And you need to be aware of who they are and be cautious. Some of them, their teaching is very subtle. They don't come right out and teach it, because if they came right out and teach it, people would say, hey, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. I'm out of here. They don't do that. There are others that teach things that are subtle. Subtle things, okay, that deny the Trinity. The Trinity, everybody knows, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, right? But they teach their doctrine as well. You need to not just assume because everybody says to you they're a Christian that that's right because they may be wrong about who God is. They may be wrong about who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. They may be wrong ultimately, which is the greatest thing, about what salvation is. Do you understand? And how salvation is attained. And you need to be aware of that. Beware of that. And what? Make note and be careful. Be careful, just like just like Timothy's being told, be careful of Alexander the coppersmith. You need to be careful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As soon as you do that, do you think people are going to be happy about you doing that? Do you think people will be happy? If you are all of a sudden 
cautious about who's influencing you and you're rejecting somebody who teaches that? Do you think that they're going to respond nicely to you? No. They'll accuse you of being what? Small-minded. Bigoted. Hateful. Judgmental. Do you understand what I'm saying? They'll begin to express those kind of concerns to you like you're the one who has the problem. Have you noticed that? Not them. Did you know what I'm saying? You're the one who has the problem, not them. Okay? So he tells Timothy to beware of Alexander the coppersmith. Now, he's going to talk about standing alone a little bit. Verse 16 talks about standing alone. Paul said that at his first defense before Caesar, nobody stood with him. Now, what's he talking about the first defense? Is that the first time he appeared before Caesar back at the end of chapter of uh, the book of Acts? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about his presentation of his current case. He would have had to appear before Caesar for the charges to be leveled and for him to have an opportunity to speak to the charges. And then he would appear before Caesar again to maybe answer some more questions about it, but ultimately he would appear one final time where judgment would be rendered. But in his first appearance before Caesar, nobody stood with him. He was alone. There were no Christians there with him. Nobody was there to witness what was going on. He was standing alone. And so here's what he does. He prays that they would be forgiven for not standing with him. He prays that they would be forgiven for not standing with him. Now, already we've seen two attitudes from Paul concerning his situation that just blow my mind because it only comes from the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What's the first one? Well, his desire for vengeance, he leaves that with who? God. God, you take care of Alexander the coppersmith. You repay him. So it's the whole issue of seeking God to set things right. All right? Second thing, Lord, the brethren didn't stand with me. Forgive them. He's expressing what? Forgiveness. Now, is that normal? Both of those things, when you're facing a crisis like he's facing, where he's facing death, those attitudes, would you say, are normal? No. Because the first thing is like, pay him back. He did me some harm. You know what I'm saying? Go get Guido and the guys from Philly, you know what I'm saying, and take care of this dude. Or we'd have a hard time forgiving people in the midst of the stuff that we're facing, right? But Paul's doing that. How's he able to do that? How is he able to do this? Because this isn't human. How's he able to do it? Okay, he knows the Lord. He knows the Lord's in control. Who else? Who gives you the strength to do this? Okay, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit who gives you the grace to forgive. 
Do you understand? I mean, think about it. Think about like Stephen when we studied the book of Acts. He's being stoned. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, he's, t- he's asking God to forgive those who are killing him because they don't know what they're doing. How does that come? Grace. Spirit of God working in you, giving you the ability to do that, opening your mind and your heart to understand that. Do you understand? Hey, let's just stop for a moment. You ever struggle with unforgiveness? You ever struggle with unforgiveness? I have. How do, how do we deal with that? We ask God to help us. Because for, uh, forgiveness is hard, right? Especially if it's somebody who's done you really wrong. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you to love and to what? Express forgiveness. I really believe that's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, is being able to what? Forgive people. Do you understand? To forgive people. So we see Paul here in this whole issue of adversity. Now, I want you to notice he's going to talk about deliverance. Look with me at verses 17 through 18. So even in the midst of the problems that he's going through, the adversity, he's facing death, he's going to talk about deliverance. I think this is what's amazing. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. I also was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's he talking about here? Well, First of all, verse 17, he's talking about the strengthening of the Lord. The Lord stood with Paul and strengthened him so that the message would be preached. The Lord stood with him. How does the Lord stand with him? Well, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, don't worry about what you say before kings. Don't try to figure out what your message is because I will give you the words, Jesus said in the gospel when he told the disciples. You'll be brought before kings. You'll be brought before authorities. And don't worry about what you'll say in that moment because I will be there. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will give you the words. That's what we see happening here with Paul, isn't it? Here's Paul. He's standing before Caesar again, again. And by this time, Caesar is mad. This would be just a few years before he's killed, assassinated. He's nuts. And word would have gotten out that Caesar is nuts, that Nero is nuts. Do you understand? And so your life is hanging in the balance because you're appearing before this madman? Paul said, God strengthened me so that the message could go out. So that the message go out. He was strengthened so that all the Gentiles would hear the gospel. He was strengthened so that all the Gentiles would hear the gospel. And then Paul states that he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, what do you think he means by that? Because he wasn't delivered from death. We know that because he would have been executed by what? Being beheaded because he's a Roman citizen. 
What do you think he's meaning here? Anybody got a clue? Think about history for a moment. Where did they have lions in Rome? The Colosseum. Where did Nero send Christians? To the Colosseum for the circus. Back then, the circus wasn't just elephants. I know now circuses don't have elephants. But back then, it wasn't just elephants and trapeze artists and everything. It was gladiators and people being torn apart by the wild animals, by the lions and so forth. So Paul is saying that he was delivered from that type of death. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't explain how, but he was delivered from that type of death. God was with him. And delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. It's amazing, isn't it? How God's still working in Paul's life even up until the end. Even up until the end. So, look now at the deliverance of the Lord. He is confident that the Lord will deliver him from every evil work and preserve him for heaven. Now, what's he talking about? Because Paul knows, he just talked about earlier in chapter 4, he knows that the time of his departure, his death is at hand. So what's he talking about this deliverance here? That God's going to deliver him from every evil work and preserve him for heaven. What does that mean? I mean, he's not talking about being delivered from death. He's talking about something else here. What do you think he's meaning? The deliverance that Paul is talking about is from this life. Because this is where the evil works are. God's going to deliver Paul from this evil life that we are in. You know, you are in an evil world, right? Is everybody, I got to just turn on the news and see that. You're in an evil world. And one day you will be delivered from this and he's assured he knows that the Lord's going to deliver him from here and has a place for him where? Yeah, with him later. That's where his hope is. What's being expressed here in verse 18 is his hope. He's trusting in who? Is he trusting in his faith? No, he's not trusting in his faith. Is he trusting that he prayed a prayer? No, he's not trusting that he prayed a prayer. He's not trusting in any of that. He's trusting in one thing only. Who? God. God. Did you understand what I'm saying? That God's going to deliver him from every evil work and preserve him for heaven. God's the one. He's trusting in God who's going to deliver him from this life. Do you understand that God's going to deliver him from this life? Do you think that's faith? That's what true faith is, is trusting in God. Okay? So this confidence resulted in Paul giving glory to God. That's what's going on at the end of verse 18 there. He's giving glory to God because of this confidence that he has. Okay? This confidence. So then in 19. Verse 19 through 22, we're going to see Paul's final words here, okay? 19, verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I had left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come to me before winter. Eubulus 
greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. All right, now notice the greetings. Paul sent greetings to his friends Priscilla and Aquila, as well as the household of Onesiphorus. So remember Priscilla and Aquila from the book of Acts? They were tent makers like Paul. They had, they, they've ministered together through the years. And of course, he's going to send greetings to them because they're in Ephesus. Okay. He's also going to send greetings to the household of Onesiphorus. Remember, we've mentioned Onesiphorus before. He has supported Paul. Okay. And he's even sought Paul out while he was in prison there in Rome and, uh, to help him out. He talks about, uh, Erastus and Trumpheus. And so he tells Timothy that Erastus stayed in Corinth and Trumpheus was left in Miletus 6. So he's kind of telling Timothy where some folks are at. So you'll see some historical notes there. He gives a plea in verse 21 to Timothy. He urges Timothy to do his best to come to him before winter. Do your best Come to me before winter. He sends greetings from various Christians in Rome. Greetings from various Christians in Rome. And then in verse 22, you're going to notice now that he bestows a blessing of grace and asks that the Lord Jesus would be with his spirit. be with Timothy's spirit, okay? Paul bestows a blessing of grace and asks that the Lord would be with Timothy's spirit, okay? 